This is Fresh Ed, a weekly podcast that makes complex ideas in educational research easily understood. I'm your host, Will Brem. Today, we explore the meaning of regionalism in the South Pacific. With me is Seo Ulo Johansson Fua, who uses the concept of Wansuwara to think about creating a regionalism from within the Sea of Islands that is the South Pacific. That would always be the starting point in trying to decolonize and trying to rethink about coming together. So we come back to the ocean. And Wansuwara, in my thinking, is a continuance of the kind of thinking that Epelihau Offa brought to the writing of the Sea of Islands back in the 1980s, which to me was the very first time that a Pacific scholar tried to demonstrate an alternative way of looking at the Pacific. Seo Ula Johansson Fua is the director of the Institute of Education at the University of the South Pacific. Her new article is entitled Wansawara, Sustainable Development, Education, and Regional Collaboration in Oceania, which was published in the Comparative Education Review. Seo Ula Johansson Fua, welcome to Fresh Ed. Mahalo, Thank you, Will, for having me today. Can I ask you what you just said there? I paid recognition to God, who is in our belief the Almighty, and I also paid respect to my king, who is the how or is the crown of the land that I am in. And I've also paid respect to all those who are listening in to our conversation today. Oh, how nice. And I guess that's a good segue into where are you sitting right now? Where are you speaking to me from? Thank you. Well, I'm in the kingdom of Tonga, tiny group of islands in the South Pacific. And... Um, it's a real pleasure to be able to talk to you. It is. It's, you know, we're pretty much across the world from each other. It's really, really nice to be able to connect. I guess to start to think about the Pacific and, you know, some of the new work that you've done in this new article, you, you bring up this notion of, uh, I think it's pronounced Wansalwara. What does this term mean to you? Wansalwara is a Solomon pigeon language term that means one salt water is their reference to the ocean. And this is important from a Solomon Islands perspective because it was created as a way that they could communicate across the different ethnicities and different languages that are in Solomon Islands. And and I find this a an important metaphor because it speaks to our people trying to co-construct a new way, co-construct a new word. And it's their way of uh, demonstrating a willingness to be as one, a desire to work together and finding a way to do that. So in Solomon Islands, there are many different languages, but the Solomon Islands pidgin language is the language where they can communicate across these different ethnic groups. And, and I find that the one Solowara is a starting point to think about oneness and coming together from a Pacific perspective, in this case from a Solomon Islands perspective. So in a way, this oneness can be seen beyond just the Solomon Islands and actually encompass the vast geography of the Pacific Islands that you're sort of speaking of. In, in a sense, I think you called it a worldview. That's right. So it's really 
trying to come back to what is a common identity for Pacific people. And our one common identity is our shared ocean space. And that would always be the starting point in trying to decolonize and trying to rethink about coming together. So we come back to the ocean. And and one Solawara in my thinking is a continuance of the kind of thinking that Epelihau Offa brought to the writing of the Sea of Islands back in the 1980s, which to me was the very first time that a Pacific scholar tried to demonstrate an alternative way of looking at the Pacific, not a small little group of islands, but a sea of islands. So hmm. it's turning the way you think about it. So one Solawara is continuing on the same line of thinking. And that's also reflective of the new thinking in the region about the Blue Pacific Ocean. Again, coming back to our to our ocean identity, that we have this shared space, shared responsibility. And so in my thinking about a Pacific world view, it's to come back to that place, to come back to that shared space. We begin from the shared space to define the rest of it is that how we see the world and interact with the world. I really love that idea, the flipping it from islands in a sea to a sea of islands. How many islands roughly are we talking about when we sort of think of this region of the Pacific? I think I need to study that again. For Tonga alone, which is considered medium size, we have over 170 little islands for us alone, and we're a population of 100,000. And if you look at Kiribati on the map, Kiribati stands actually across several time zones from Tarawa all the way to Christmas Island on the east side. So if you look at the map of the Pacific, you will see those sea of islands. And if we flip it that way to come back to our way of thinking about it, it changes the picture of it. In in fact, in our navigation, in our science of our navigation, in our way of thinking, we don't travel to the island. The island comes to us in that sense. So our whole world view is still connected to the ocean and our islands. And the islands are almost seen as resting place for us before we continue the journey. Quite amazing. You know, going back to this notion of Wansolwara and oneness, you mentioned that this is also the name of the, what students call their newspaper at the university where you work, which is the University of South Pacific. So do are students sort of drawing on this notion of oneness as well? Like, why do the students select this word to describe their newspaper? The students have been using the one Solawara term for decades. So any student who has gone through USB would have known about the one Solawara term long before I used it. So it's been there for decades. The University of the South Pacific is only one of two regional institutions in the world. And it's really unique as a melting pot, as a place to socialize students, socialize young people into this identity that we call Pacific, right? We have to mm. understand that the Pacific identity is created and how do we create that from multiple different cultures? So the university is that place where we have students from all over the region that comes in. And using the one Solawara, I think it portrays their desire to recognize their diversity, mm. that they may be coming from different languages and backgrounds. But through the ocean, again, coming back to the ocean, that's the one thing we have in common that we will start from. And always finding that one common place is the place where we start a conversation about collaboration about coordination but we must find it one place that we are familiar with 
that we can connect to one another. And for the ocean is our place where we can connect to one another. How does it work on a practical level? Because it's such a massive geography of islands and, you know, there are so many different languages being spoken, so many different cultures, you know, how do the buildings work? Are there buildings in multiple countries and multiple islands and you know what languages use what um, for you like on your day-to-day experience like what is it like to work at the university of south pacific i think it's a very unique place we have 12 campuses or 14 campuses rather spread across 12 countries so a larger campus is the one located in Suva that will house a couple of thousands. And then you have a smaller campuses as in Niue or Tokelau with fewer students. So getting that whole mechanic machinery to work and tune every day of 12, 14 campuses spread across different time zones, spread across different languages and spread across different currency. And that's also a very interesting part is the different currencies that are being traded to pay for student fees and in all of them. So you will have that on our handbook. What, how much would it be for you to pay in American dollars if you're a USB student in Marshall Islands? And how much would it be for you to pay in Australian currency if you're a student in Tuvalu or Tongan Paanga in Tongan? So, it's quite complex in that sense of its mechanics and also complex in time zones and getting to be able to ensure the same quality service reaches across multiple contexts. And that's, I suppose, is one of our continuing challenge is mm. how do we continually improve access to a diverse region and how do we maintain relevancy? And that is, that is really key is how do we maintain relevancy for the bigger members mm. and how do we maintain relevancy for the smaller island states who are also equal members. So all of the 12 countries own the university. So it's a regional good that is owned by all these 12 countries and the ministers all sit in council to decide uh, and make decisions on the university's ruling. I mean, you know, the challenges I would imagine are really quite enormous. I'm just thinking of my own experience in one university in London and how sort of challenging it can be when you have, you know, maybe a new campus being built in another part of the city. You're talking 14 campuses, 12 countries, multiple languages, multiple currencies, multiple ministers of education sitting on a council. I guess we would call it a public university, but public being a regional public. I mean, it's really quite, I can see the challenges, but I guess there must be so many great opportunities because of the way it is structured as well. Absolutely. I have been a regional civil servant for 18 years, and it has been a a real privilege for me to be in this space because in those experiences, I've learned more than I could have ever learned from any books or readings or or whatever else forms of, of learning. And that to me is the biggest gain for me personally and for anyone who works as a regional civil servant is the learning. Mm. You learn so much about all these different places and contexts and how they interact with the world and how they interact with one another and trying to reach their own aspirations. I think the second thing about working in this space is the honor of the relationship that you encounter, that you sustain over a lifetime through these relationships. And because relationships are so critical to Pacific people's worldview, I have been most honored to to know people and learn from people of various standing at government mm-hmm. level and at community level. And that's the wonderful part about being in this very complex space is the opportunity to learn 
and enjoy these wonderful relationships across a diverse region. You said earlier that you sort of have to, I'll use the word struggle, but in a good sense, struggle to maintain relevance for all the different types of people, all the different types of students that go through the university. How do you do that? Well, you know, what does that actually look like? The struggle to be relevant has a lot of factors influencing that. One is the level of funding mm. that comes in to allow uh, products that are relevant. And that's a different conversation to have with development partners, donors, and the university itself, because it still comes back to resources that will allow you to be relevant to all 12. It still mm. comes back to that. And on a technical level, it's also finding the capacity around to be able to make those translations relevant, to make a course relevant to New Way, to make a program relevant to Now Rule. Because having that capacity to make those translations and mm. do the research that's necessary to do that. And sometimes the literature is not there, so you have to go out and do the research to find the information. So all of that takes capacity, takes resources. From a more philosophical level on trying to be relevant is whether you have the clarity of mind on who you are and clarity of identity. And that's why I think one Solawara is a starting point to come back to our ocean space and start from there. And to be able to make it relevant to everyone else is to always come back to our shared space and start from there. So the struggle or the challenges of making it relevant and continually relevant as we make progress or as we change over time is a challenge on many levels. So mm. it's not just philosophically trying to be clear in your head who you are and how do you relate to the other person on the other side of the ocean. It's also about funding and resources to enable a range of products to be relevant to others and finding the capacity and building our own capacity to make those translations available across them. And it's ongoing. And I think that's what universities should be, continue to be always open to making it better. Mm -hmm. How could we be more relevant as our member countries' own aspirations shift over time? It's so fascinating that university and the people that it brings together and just this notion of it being a collective good. I just really love that idea. It makes me wonder to what extent do you think one Salawara and the University of South Pacific and some of this notion of regional identity building um, around it, to what extent does it intersect with notions of decolonization, which is becoming quite a zeitgeist, I'll say, in the higher education space worldwide, particularly in Europe and in the USA at this point. But I just wonder from, you know, your perspective in at the University of South Pacific and some of these ideas that you've been talking about, do they connect to decolonization in your mind? I think for those who have journeyed with us or who have journeyed in the old order of regionalism would probably see this as decolonization. And, and yes, to some extent it is decolonization. But I'd like to see it as reclaiming my own identity and reclaiming my own authenticity mm. and affirming Pacific people's worldview. So the one Salawara is really an opportunity or an invitation to let's reconsider how we've always looked at regional identity. Let's reconsider maybe that we can look within ourselves and within our existing cultures and structures, that there is something there that speaks to our oneness, mm. to speak to our desire to be a collective. And that's where one Salawara comes in. I have seen several attempts to push regional to make it more Pacific. But what if we stop pushing 
the old order to make it more pacific, but start from within and see mm. what's already there. That it is already pacific in this sense, one Solawara, and in this sense, in Solomon Islands, and bring that up and how we could we think about it that way, about our desire for oneness. Because behind every ideology, and, and one Solawara, if I could say, is an ideology, regionalism is an ideology. Behind those ideologies are structures, are structures that try and promote certain values and assumptions and thinking about the future. So we may change a name in regionalism, but the underlining structures and the values and assumptions that underline that, I think, are still not as relevant to who we are as a people in, in what it is that we're doing. And what this is an opportunity for is to open up that conversation. And I, I say in the, in the paper that, that one Solawara is also a dialogic space, a space for, for many conversations and learning and dialogic uh, conversations and learnings is important for us as specific people because that's how we create knowledge. Our, our knowledge is, collect, is created in the collective rather than the individual. And that's why um, having conversations, talanoa in, in a Polynesian term, comes with it its own values about sharing understanding, sharing experiences, and from there co-create our new way of understanding or new knowledge in, in place. So that's I think, is what the paper is trying to push towards, opening up to another conversation about regional identity based from within rather hmm. than from outside. By way of comparison, you mentioned this notion of the old way of thinking about regionalism. What What is that old way? How would you describe it from the, you know, the idea of regionalism, in, I guess it's imposed on the South Pacific. And, you know, what did that look like and who is doing that? We look back at the history of regionalism in this part of the world, in the Pacific. We've got two, and now three institutions. That's the University of the South Pacific, the Pacific Islands Forum Secretariat, and also SBC, which is the Secretariat for Pacific Community. Those seem to be the three main regional institutions. All of them were created post-independence around the 1960s. And then in the 1970s, and in all of them, you see the membership of it reflect not only Pacific countries, but also former colonial administrations who are there. How it's practiced out, how it's practiced on an everyday. I've been in this space for, as I've said before, for quite some time. And you could see the flow of power, the flow of resources, and the way communication has been the strategies for communication in the last 10 to 15 years have almost always come from one direction. There seems to be an epic center and then you disseminate to the rest of the outer islands or the region and the flow of power, the, the flow of resources seems to still reflect that and that's what I think is the old order. That knowledge seems to be coming from one place, that power seems to be held in one particular place. In thinking about the one Salawara, what if the power was coming from several different places, mm. not just one country, but different countries are bringing in their knowledge? What if resources were to come from different places as well, not just traditionally from a development partner or a donor or one particular place? What if resources were coming from different directions? So it's trying to think about oneness and coming from, in, in my thinking, a more shared sense of power, resources and knowledge that all mm. are equally mm 
has value to contribute because the challenges that we face today in the region and on climate change and sea level rising, not one person has the solution to that. That's the bottom line. So we all have to recognize that all of us have something to contribute of value and equal to bring in. And that's the, the invitation from one Solawara is what mm. if we think about it this way, because every one of us has something to bring to the table. And I think, you know, before we turn to climate change and issues around how we might think of climate change from that sort of one Solawara worldview, what you're articulating here, you know, the difference between sort of the, the old regionalism and then this sort of regionalism from within and saying that you can actually create structures that are very, very different. What would those sort of governing structures of, you know, such a regionalism even begin to look like? I mean, I would imagine there could be many different ways, but from within, from within the Pacific, what might we think about as a regional governance structure? I think that in my paper, I can only offer examples of what are traditional governance structures that are already in place and are still in use, that they mm. continue to be relevant today. And I provide them from a Polynesian perspective. I also say that in Micronesia, in Kiribati, they also have traditional structures of governance that they have. And I think that's the importance of looking to the context to inform us of how we might do this. On one level, I'm pointing out that each of these countries, we have our own traditional governance structures. There are those that we can pull from or look for example. At a second level is an invitation to have more conversations, have more research, find out what it is that will work for all of us, drawn from our existing cultures and value systems that have sustained us for millennia. And perhaps there we could find something more relevant to who we are and make us come alive, not bring in something that we don't really fully understand what it is and how do we move it around to fix it. That's what I'm providing examples of what is already there. Could we have more conversations? And again, and that's what the, I ask for is, is more dialogue, mm. more Talanoa. And how could we strengthen our relationship? And that's important also in a Pacific context is our relationship. And through the relationship, through a relational base or a dialogic base, we can come together to begin to formulate what we all agree or what we all think is our future together, is our future in oneness, rather than, than again some culture dominating another in how it, it might look like, but really an, an invitation to have those conversations, mm. to strengthen our relationship. And we've seen the challenge to our relationship during COVID when our borders closed for the last three years and our regional meetings were through Zoom, which for all effectiveness, but so much of this for us is the conversations during lunch or the conversations at morning tea, because those relationships are so important to us. And if you look closely into the region, We've, we have examples of challenges to regionalism in the last three years, and we couldn't come together to just mm -hmm. talk about it and, and try and resolve it and reconnect those relationships. Are those restrictions still present or has travel resumed? So we're opening up more of us in the south. I know of uh, yesterday that we had to delay one of our classes up at FSM at Chuuk mm. State because there's a community outbreak. So we're right. still in different places at the moment, but most of us in the southern Pacific are opening up. It's a really interesting, I didn't think about how it might impact sort of, you know, this, I guess a, a collective good would be very much impacted by COVID. What sort of conversations, what sort of dialogue is taking place about climate change 
we've previously had the meeting of our farm leaders a few months ago, and of course climate change still continues to be our pressing priority. I'm not going to speak about all the challenges in that because that's just too big, but I think there are already conversations about adaptation, and we have been talking about adaptation for quite some time because we've seen the impact of it a lot earlier than most parts of the world, I, I suppose. So adaptation is a key conversation for us mm. and resilience, um, resilience on, on different levels and infrastructure level, but most importantly for us, resilience in terms of culture, resilience in terms of our faith and resilience in terms of our well-being. That has come to light with recent events that we've had. So a lot more conversations on adaptation and resilience, education policy framework, education plan that are being developed around the region now are trying to address this and how do we build stronger schools, safer schools? How do we deal mm. with uh, mental health for our children and how do we strengthen resilience of our teachers? So all of those are coming in already into policy framework mm. and also to strategic plans that I'm aware of in, around the region. Is your university sort of also engaged in some of these frameworks and some of this sort of dialogue? That's absolutely right. So we have different institutes in, in the mm. university, and depending on our areas of expertise, we engage in that. Our we have another institute in Suva that works closely on climate change. Our institute, because it, we deal mainly in education, we deal from an education perspective, supporting education developments, curriculums, frameworks on how do we strengthen resilience and adaptation. So from whichever part of the university we're at, we're dealing with it or we're putting in our contribution from our own fields around the university. So in a way, it sounds like a lot of the conversation is this sort of notion of one salawara. There's, there's many different conversations happening around climate change, many different areas of expertise and coming out of the region itself to try and figure out how to adapt and be resilient. It's quite amazing in a way. Is there any conversation about the ideas that are coming out of these different spaces as potentially sort of being valuable to other parts of the world? Because it's, you know, climate change is happening everywhere and these conversations are certainly happening in, in multiple forms and fora, but there's certain forms that are getting more attention. You know, there's certain solutions, quote unquote solutions, that are being pushed at, you know, by some of these more powerful actors. And I just wonder to what extent are some of these ideas that are coming out of the Pacific that you're talking about can influence, you know, other parts of the globe? I think in, on two levels. One is the desire and the recognition that this is bigger than any one of us single to mm. handle singly. And that's why regionalism and the idea of being together is still very important for us. It is, in fact, much more important for us today than it ever was, is that we know that on our own we cannot fight this alone but together because we share the responsibility for guarding the ocean it's all of us and so we must be able to work together we must be able to collaborate and coordinate together so that oneness that collaboration is so important to try mm -hmm. and address these challenges at another level is the indigenous knowledge that we have and we are very very fortunate that most of our and all of our cultures we still remember those indigenous knowledge 
knowledge systems. In fact, we still practice a lot of those indigenous knowledge systems. And those indigenous knowledge systems have sustained us, in fact, sustained us during lockdown, sustained us during COVID, because we still know how to farm the land. We still know how to fish. We still know how to read the weather pattern. And we still know how to share with your neighbor. And that sharing is so important because we're in it together. So our knowledge system now is re-recognizing its importance of semi-subsistent lifestyle and that that has sustained us through. So those are, are the two messages that I'll mm. probably offer. And not knowing what's it like for other contexts and they have different different contexts, but we've found our traditional knowledge system is enabling us to survive through COVID and through this inflation when everything is so expensive. We go back to the land and go back to the ocean. Well, Seula Johansson Fua, thank you so much for joining Fresh Ed. Really a pleasure to talk and learn from you today. Thank you very much for having me today, Will. Malo. Seula Johansson Fua is the director of the Institute of Education at the University of the South Pacific. Her new article on Wansuwara can be found in the latest issue of the Comparative Education Review. A transcript of today's interview with a selection of resources for further exploration can be found at freshedpodcast.com. Please note that opinions expressed on Fresh Ed are solely those of the host or the guest interviewed, not Fresh Ed, which takes no institutional position. If you've liked what you've heard today, please rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Reviews really do help. Fresh Ed's team includes Sherry Yang, Fatih Octus, Obafemi Ongunle, Dion Jiang, Annabelle Afroboten, Anya Lin, Phyllis Che Mensa, and Jose Neto. Original music for Fresh Ed was created by Digital Primate. Fresh Ed is an independently run podcast without advertisements and is made possible by the support of the Open Society Foundations, the UCL Institute of Education, NORAG, the Shockdev Family Fund, and listeners like you. Please consider donating to Fresh Ed by visiting freshedpodcast.com slash donate. Thanks for listening. I'm Will Brem, and I'll be back next week.